First of all, Scott, welcome into the show. It's good to finally have you on the pod. Thank you. Uh, this is truly an honor of my life. <laughs> Probably one of the five greatest things I've ever done. And it will be in my resume forever. Yeah, no, I whenever I'm trying to pitch people to come on the show, I always t lead with the fact that it makes a great resume line item. Yeah, much like 1L softball all-star uh, on Callie's resume. Yes, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's how she wound up at McGuire Woods because they were they were looking for a ringer. <laughs> a Callie ringer. Um, normally I do normally I've only had one episode with fewer questions, but, uh, I've decided <laughs> we're going to lead with viewer questions today. And then I'll ask my own questions and some more leagues, general questions afterwards, because in your case, the, the viewer questions are crueler than usual. Fantastic. So first, uh, we have a question from the manager of well hung jury, uh, Larry Ring, who you matched up with this week. Yeah, quite unsuccessfully. <laughs> Fairly unsuccessfully. But hey, a margin of 43. It's It was close. It was down to the wire. <laughs> uh, Very. So Larry asks, it's not easy doing anything eight times in a row. Do you take any pride in the fact that you did something eight times in a row, even though the odds were against you? You know, you know, Larry, thank you for the wonderful question. I think there there is a real source of pride in being able to be the only team with eight losses. Uh, not every team could do it. Not every team could keep up their, uh, their morale and their have-to spirit throughout the season. And like uh, Coach Lasso has been saying for my squad, you know, everybody loves a comeback. So we're hoping we can maybe go on a little roll and – just sneak into the playoffs in that eight seed and then go from there. We have a little, we have few games to do it, but that's the goal. Hey, Aim and pray. as the uh, commissioner of the league, I'm hoping for that too, because I think I would have owned the story rights and I'd, I'd sell that movie for sure. Oh, blockbuster <laughs> instantly. Or, you know, Apple TV miniseries. That's true. I hear they're successful. They seem to be. Um, and Jason Sudeikis is a Kansas City man. So maybe Apple will have, you know, just a general belief in stories pitched by Kansans. It would make sense to me. Yeah. And, you know, you're practically, you know, an Omaha guy. You at least have very strong ties to Omaha and Omaha's practically Kansas City. It's all it's all adding up is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. The cards are lining up. All right. So then from the manager of Magic Grits, Captain Anthony Jadick, we have a series of questions. First, Ooh, a oh, a series. Looking back at the draft, how will you change your drafting strategy in the future? Are there any picks that were close calls that you regret making? Um. I'm not going to lie, I was tipped on a few of these questions. So I did do some research and looked back at the draft. And knowing that this was a redraft season, I did not draft this the way I would if this was the team I was going to be stuck with 
for perhaps years to come. Right. So I, I did take some liberties to experiment. Uh, and like one of my big experiments was like, okay, I have the fifth pick, like truly in the middle. Right. And I know I'm not going to get, you know, McCaffrey or Kamara or Dalvin cook or, you know, any of the big running backs. And I wasn't like super jazzed about like Aaron Jones or Ezekiel Elliott. I should have been jazzed about Austin Eckler apparently. So I was like, I want to use this opportunity to see like what I can do by getting Travis Kelsey. And hopefully he, you know, performs 10 points to 15 points better than every tight end all year, which he has been tight end number one, but like his separation between him and like the fourth or fifth guy hasn't been as big as I thought it would have been. So that's something that like, okay, in hindsight, you know, if I'm redrafting, I'm probably not taking Travis Kelsey in round one and like waiting on a tight end. But I was curious to see the idea of if I pick the guy who is so much like the consensus elite number one guy, his position, how will that like affect me down the line, even though he's not, you know, a running back or a wide receiver in the first round. So that was, that was my first like big experiment. And as compensation for it, I have what is a pretty average backfield, uh, which has underperformed as well courtesy of Antonio Gibson's broken shin and Dave Montgomery's broken, whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, that is, that is really unfortunate. I, in a lot of my mock drafts during the off season, um, cause you know, studying for the bar is exhausting and sometimes you got to take a mock draft break. Um, mm-hmm. I experimented <laughs> a lot with taking Kelsey at various places in the first round and like the middle of the first round. Because going into the season, he seemed like, you know, such a sure thing. And he, in past years, has been such a huge positional advantage. And what Right, he's been like, a wide receiver, a tight end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like you, you know, you alluded to earlier, the, it used to be that the gap between him and the other tight ends was just enormous. But everyone on the Chiefs has forgotten how to catch footballs. Uh, and that has not been positive for chiefs fantasy players uh no it has not especially uh last week's great interception in the end zone in like what the first quarter yeah Uh, straight off of like tyree killer or whatever just some weird luck too for the chiefs yeah there's been yeah there's been some some misfortunes and then there's been some bad decisions by players and coaches and it's been an odd season definitely not a lost season um as we'll get into in Kingdom Corner, but uh, odd for sure. I see. I'm just trying to set that up for you later. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I always, I always love promoting the show on the show, you know. And stay and I do for, worry stay that tuned I for Kingdom Corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I worry that I lose listeners before before the corner. <laughs> I feel like people find out where they are in the power rankings, then they get out of here. I always listen for the corner update. Oh, thank you. I I appreciate that. And, you know, I, uh, I always keep whenever the video aspect of the podcast returns, you can you can bet your bottom dollar that Mahomes Magic Crunch will be once again featured prominently in all the shots. I'm glad to hear it. One of the greatest purchases I've ever made. <laughs> I appreciate it. It is it, a box of cereal is an odd thing to move across the country because it's like weirdly fragile in a way. So, right. but I'm, I'm, it's, it's just so worth it. And, you know, it's like a little traveling piece of home. Also, you know, just having something from high V 
is like a right. traveling piece of home in its own way. Just I mean, I can tell, logos, yeah. heartwarming. I mean, I can I can tell you a uh, flying with a box of cereal in your carry on is also a weird experience. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't even I didn't even think about the process that went into it getting here in the first place. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's well loved in the Cody household. All right. So Captain Jadik's second question is what, if any, um, do you think the league punishment for the last place team should be? Oh, interesting. Uh, I feel like the stakes are higher on this question for me. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of creative options out there. One of my, one of my high school teaching friends, his league has done a longstanding tradition of the person who finishes last has to take the ACT, <laughs> <laughs> which is which as like a teacher was really hilarious, especially right. knowing that like my friend could be the proctor for it. Right. But I don't know. That's that's something I haven't really thought about. You know, there's always a toilet bowl type trophy you could have, you know, an inscribed name on the toilet seat. But that's right. more of a of that's course. more of an honor than a punishment. Almost. And, it, you know, it's to me, the, the the trophy for last place is a good move if it can be a company. Like if you have an in-person draft and at that draft, you can do, you know, kind of an awards presentation of, you know, the championship trophy and then the last place trophy and all of that. Then I feel like right. it's, you know. In a way, yeah. it's vaguely punishment yeah. because it's public I, I feel, embarrassment. I feel, a punish, I feel a punishment loses some of its effect if it's not like a an in-person thing that we can all enjoy together. Right. And, you know, as I've been saying from the start, one of my greatest hopes, one of my greatest dreams is for, you know, an in-person draft to uh, kick off the season next year and the dynasty, if it is indeed a dynasty uh, next year. Would be incredible. Yeah. So I don't know. Sorry, Captain Jadick, I don't have like a straight answer for you, but I think it's one that requires thought and you don't want to rush into it. Especially if you could potentially be the victim of it. Especially if you're 0-8 and sitting in 10th place. Yeah. Well, one that I recently heard about that apparently is like pretty famous, but I'm just late to the party in hearing about it. But I heard that a leak did uh, the punishment for last place was you have to spend 24 hours in an IHOP, but for every waffle you eat, you like take an hour off of the time you have to spend. I have seen that. And IHOP waffles add up fast. Yeah, that is that is what, you know, I hear. And when I was first told the story, it launched a great debate about how many waffles you would be able to eat. Um because I very boldly said, I think I could get it down to only stay there eight hours and the room guffawed. And in retrospect, yeah, yeah I, I think that's very unrealistic. I think that's way too I'll many say, waffles. I don't know. I don't know. Last year, I have 16 waffles. I mean, just imagine what that would wreck your like that would wreck <laughs> your body for days. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think if, if I was subjected to a 24 hours in a waffle house, I think I would try to get it down to like 16 to 18. Yeah. Just something so that you can get a normal night's sleep right. before and after. 
Yeah. Eat a couple waffles for breakfast, a couple more for lunch, a couple for dinner, and then like, you know what, maybe I'm feeling good later and I'll eat a couple and try to get out there early. <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems like a very reasonable ambition. You know, last bring, week... Bring a, bring a good book, do some people watching. Yeah, well, and, you know, plan for your, for your fantasy team next year because yeah. clearly it's, it's needed. Time. Yeah. Uh, last week on the show, Larry and I were talking about how you know, the high score of the week prize can be a good incentive to, you know, stay in tune with your team, even when the shot at the championship seems to be getting further and further away. Uh, there is there any part of you that thinks, you know, this team that you've assembled could be a high score of the week type of team before the end of the season? I think we could. But I, I don't think we are on track to be the high-scoring team, you know, every week. But sure, it could happen. Yeah, it, well, you know, Dak, Dak Prescott has a great game. Uh, Michael Carter, who has found lots of points for the Jets, suddenly has a great game. The right. Bucks decide to shut down somebody. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Knowing I can that, imagine in my head, as long as, you know, Cooper Cup doesn't catch 40 passes for you. Right. Uh, that guy. I can't tell you how, how big of a Cooper Cup fan I've become. And it's sad because like there's no there's no credit. There's no wisdom there. It's like Robert Woods happened to have been off the board when I drafted Cooper Cup. If Robert Woods was there, might have drafted him instead. No idea. <laughs> I viewed them as interchangeable going into this thing. All right. Now it was wisdom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Deep, deep within me somewhere. Mm. Um, you know, you're... The thing is, if your backfield were healthy, it really would be a pretty good backfield. Like Antonio Gibson obviously has all that promise if he doesn't have a broken shin. And I'm a huge David Montgomery fan. Um, right. The Bears suck. They're going to run the ball. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they just need health. Yeah. Like going into this, I saw my backfield as like solid, not great. Like they'll do what they need to do, but they're not going to, you know, they're not. Derrick Henry. Right. Instead, they both decide to get broken. Yeah, not great. And now, no, in that way, at least, they are like Derrick Henry. True. That is true. Which is just or devastating news. Yeah, and, and Christian McCaffrey. Not, not my shrewdest trade. But hey, he's going to come alive right when I need him. That's my plan. Um, All right. Uh, you, since you brought up Michael Carter, I'm wondering with... Uh, the famous Mike White's second start coming up this weekend. Uh, will you be putting Michael Carter in your starting lineup? I believe he is already in my starting lineup. Oh, um, not to give away any strategy, but he will stay in my starting lineup <laughs> because Alex Collins is on a buy, Antonio Gibson's on a buy, uh, Chris Godwin's on a buy, Dave Montgomery's injured, <laughs> and Saquon might be coming back. So, arguably. So um michael carter is coming alive at just the right time for you yes so hopefully he can repeat last week's performance or even his performance from the week before right hey i mean mike white seems to like to check down to the running back which is really yeah, what i you hope want he checks in down quarterback. all day give, give me those free points yeah absolutely <laughs> go ppr go um all right so final uh question from the uh managers uh manager of pigskin skull plaintiffs 
Ooh. one, Callista Cody asks, despite having the worst record, do you think your team is actually better slash should be ranked higher than any of the other teams in the league? In the power rankings or just standings? Uh, just really power rankings. Like, do you do you view your team as like my team's actually better than one of these other teams? I think the the only team I could probably say that with a straight face would be uh, Peter Circa's Vandalay Industries. And again, I, I just caught Vandalay on the wrong week when I think Josh Allen went off for like forty points. So it didn't matter that he was playing Gronk who didn't even start that week. So that's probably the only team I would, I would really say, I think I'm better than them. And looking at the roster breakdown or the matchup breakdown thing, uh, that's also the only team that I would have an over 500 record against if I played them every week, along with a bunch, one, four and four, please fix thanks. And then a handful of three and fives, including the pigskin skull plaintiffs. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so this could be this could be a big matchup. Pigskin sure might will, regret asking that question. I'm sure my team will promptly lose it though. <laughs> well, yeah the the Vandalay's Vandalay Industries matchup was was tragic. That was that was sad. Josh Allen is a cruel, cruel master. Yeah, I mean, truly just a comedy of errors. Then I lose to the fertile octogenarians who are quite fertile, even though they're not playing a running back, even though they're not playing, I think a kicker and they still beat me by like five points or something or three points. Yeah, that was, that was very unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how many, it's funny. Your, your matchups are like the only other matchups I pay close attention to every week as the games are going on. I always check my score and then your score. And, uh, yeah. You, you, there's been some heartbreakers. There's been a few, a few that we thought we had in the bag, and then no. <laughs> oh, tragic. Well, hey, that does it for the viewer questions. So now we can get to, you know, the the commissioner questions or host questions. We'll Ooh. figure out what that segment should be called later, um, in season two. The hot so, seat. <laughs> exactly. Uh. First of all, as someone who's participated in many a uh, dynasty league, I, if I remember correctly, you were both in a dynasty fantasy football league and a dynasty fantasy baseball league, correct? That is correct. All right. So with that wealth of experience behind you, what do you see as the biggest potential downsides and upsides in switching to a dynasty format next year? Uh, downsides, my honest answer would be zero downsides. Love I think that. dynasty is infinitely more fun. Uh, because I know in last week's podcast, I believe you talked about like incentives for people to stay interested right, in right. like a dynasty where you're not competing or a year, a, you know, a one-off league where you're not competing. But I think you have far more incentive to stay interested in a dynasty league, which a, if, if all the owners are invested in the league anyway, like that shouldn't be a question to start with. But secondly, I think in a dynasty league, it's more fun. It's more fun to be a bad team in a dynasty league than to be a bad team in a one-year league. Because, you know, with the trade deadline, if I'm a bad team in a dynasty league, I can start to think on how I'm going to build for the future. 
So, you know, someone who's contending this year, I can maybe like pawn off some pieces to them in order to like recoup something for like future growth for myself. You know, maybe it's right. taking on an injured player. Maybe it's trading, you know, some older veteran for some young up and coming guy. And depending on how you structure your dynasty, you can really feel like a GM with that process, which I know I've talked to you about my fantasy baseball league, Yep. which is fairly over the top, <laughs> but a lot of fun for it where we have contracts for players, you know, so we have an auction system. We have restricted free agency based on how much you pay people. You can sign them for longer or shorter deals. You have penalties for cutting contracts over certain values. We have minor league drafts so you can like build your farm system. So when you're a bad team in that league, there's a lot of great assets you can trade for. You can trade, you know, expiring contracts for cheaper long-term contracts or for draft picks for like, or for minor leaguers who can, you know, presumably help you in the future, get that championship. So those sorts of avenues in a dynasty, I think are a whole lot of fun. And it's really fun to build your team, not just for this year, but to try to build your team for success for years to come. Right. And as a losing team, you still have that option. You still have that opportunity throughout the season, even if this season's not going well. I mean, I think that's a very compelling pitch for uh, dynasties in general. What, uh, what platform do you guys use for your baseball dynasty? Uh, baseball. We have been doing this league for, I think I joined it in its second or third year and it's going on. It's maybe like 14th season. And it's been the same 14 owners for probably the last decade. And we do that on ESPN. And then the football league I'm in uses Sleeper, which is like, eh, it's okay. But I think I like ESPN between that CBS and Sleeper. I think I like ESPN the most just in terms of like user interface and like sort of how easy it is to do things on it. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So the next question is, a lot of leagues do instant ad drops on uh, Sunday mornings. Do you think we should uh, incorporate that? This feels like a pointed question. Only uh, somewhat. For those of you who are unaware, I did not roster a quarterback this week. Uh, Dak Prescott decided to skip the game. And trying to plan for this contingency, the Washington Fantasy Football team on Thursday evening put in a waiver claim for Kirk Cousins, we thought this was a foolproof plan because he played the Dallas Cowboys. So if Dak wasn't going to play, great. We substitute Kirk Cousins in, you know, 90 minutes before. Unbeknownst to us, uh, we tried to drop Rondell Moore, who played on Thursday. And CBS, while letting me put that waiver claim in, later informed me after not processing the claim that you can't actually drop a guy who's already played this week which I appreciate CBS for letting me actually make the claim. And then after the fact, tell me I couldn't make the claim. Uh, so I really would have enjoyed being able to pick up Kirk Cousins on Sunday morning. So, you know, in last week's scenario, would I approve of that change? Yes. But if you're trying to do fab, I'm not sure how it really reconciles with fab. And this is really my mistake of like, I prepared for the contingency, just did it poorly. So I don't know. You know, I, I do think it is convenient for a last minute scratch and I don't really see people necessarily gaming the system on it. Right. Of like, Ooh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to avoid paying fat by adding this guy on Sunday, which, you know, maybe you could, but if you're doing that, you're also running the risk of somebody gets that claim before you on Thursday, Friday or Saturday or Wednesday. So I don't think it hurts to do it, 
and I don't think it's, you know, I don't know that you could really gain it anyway, because especially since we let you pick up players without spending fab anyway. Yeah, the, I've been thinking about this a lot um, and trying to figure out if there's any downside. Um, and I hadn't really thought that much about the fab thing. I guess in my mind, you just wouldn't like how much fab would a player really be worth if no one's bothering to pick them up until Sunday morning anyway. Right. Um, and that's, yeah. And I'm in some league, the football, the other football league, I mean, you have to spend fab to pick up a free agent where if that was the case, then I think an instant ad drop on Sunday would be different, but since we don't have to spend fab, it really doesn't change it. It just gives you less choice of, you know, who's available on Sunday morning versus Wednesday. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the only downside I guess I see is I know some people strategize about like they'll have a player that they specifically wait um, to drop until, you know, the Saturday night waivers run so that no one can use that player uh, Mm -hmm. in that week. So I guess you might you could argue that you're kind of losing that. But that is then supplemented by the fact that you could do. You know, you could basically just do the same thing Sunday morning, but right, I don't yeah. Know. And but and on the flip side too, again, if even though someone's maybe trying to drop somebody so someone else can't pick them up, it also comes down to like if it's someone that you're willing to drop, that means they're like the sixth guy on your bench, right? And like maybe you would help your opponent, but like probably marginally if they're the sixth guy on your bench, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's marginal at that point. Yeah. All right. So, um, um, I, another general league question would be, um, what changes, if any, would you like to see made to the league? Obviously we've already, I I feel covered that you'd like the league to go to dynasty as I think we all do. I would. I also, I think, I think then there's some interesting questions on how do you format your dynasty? I've had some of these conversations with my associate, and Metrodome matchup rival, uh, Mr. L.B. McCaskey of the Panthers. Uh-huh. And I think first being an ON8 team, one interesting change I think that could be made, and the other league I'm in does this, is there are actually, you get two, you can get up to two wins per week. One is for winning your individual matchup, and the second is if you beat the league average score for the week, hmm. which helps to reduce some variance in the league. And is also like you still have the fun of matchups, but you also have the, you know, if I was the high scoring team this week and you were the second and we played instead of going oh and one, you'll go one and one that week. So an interesting way to like if you want to balance teams out based on like true strength, it's a way to still get some of the randomness of head to head and, you know, try to balance out actual strength of teams. So I think that's an interesting proposal that I would like to at least propose and have discussed. Otherwise, I think just how do you structure the dynasty? You know, are you going to have an auction and a salary cap? Are you going to have contracts? How many keepers are you going to allow? I would be in favor of not allowing people to keep their entire roster. I've seen some leagues do it uh, where you can keep people based on, you can keep, you know, say four people. Uh, But there's some strategy in it of not just necessarily keeping your best four people where the people you keep though, they fill in the slot that you drafted them in, in next year's draft of like the players that are left over minus one round. So if I drafted, 
you know, Austin Eckler in the second round and I keep him next year, he is my first round draft pick. So there's some strategy then in who do you keep? You know, do I keep this guy that I got in round 11, Jamar Chase, or round 12, Jamar Chase, who's a steal? And then next year, he's only going to fill out my round 11 slot. Or do I keep, you know, someone in round two is now going to take up my first round pick? So I think that adds a little element of strategy too, of not just keeping necessarily like your best four picks versus like your best value picks. Yeah, no, that is the dynasty honestly just raises so many uh formatting and rule questions it's uh it's gonna be a lengthy ballot i think it also just i mean it just makes for more interesting ownership too uh, in my mind it's more fun to trade in a dynasty league than it is in a single year league yeah because you know you Trades can try to build for a future. yeah there's a lot more going into the trading process for sure right even how you value a trade yeah right well, and I mean, this is the obvious one, but also being able to incorporate, you know, draft picks into your trade is a fun element. Oh, it's a great element. Yeah. And it, then it's just fun to see, too, how people value these different things. And again, you know, with like 11 or so years in this baseball league, it's been very interesting to see over like the years how how teams value different assets like big contracts versus cheap contracts versus minor league contracts versus draft picks. And like the, the valuation of all those various assets and trades is it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, dynasty is a great, you know, it's almost, it's just a completely different game. Uh, in so many ways. And I definitely think that to the extent that the fantasy element is important, uh, I think it's, you know, does a much better job of giving you a sense of being, you know, a manager and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. And, you know, my, my vision for this league was always that it be a dynasty league. But since I personally, hadn't participated in a dynasty league prior to this year. I didn't want to uh, ha- be the commissioner of my first dynasty experience. Cause I was worried that I would, you know, make too many mistakes and rule design and stuff like that. And given the number of mistakes I've made in a redraft league, commissioning a redraft <laughs> league, which is something I'm quite familiar with. Uh, I think that was the right choice. Uh, and of yeah, course I, I dream of the in-person draft to kick off the dynasty. Yeah, and I think it's just good to, you know, do a one-off first year and get to know each other a little bit more for those of us who don't maybe know each other. And it gives us here to discuss things like this and figure out, you know, how do we want to do it? Or, like, what do we like or not like about how we did it this past year? Versus, you know, starting from scratch and just trying to come up with whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is you know, been a good, good experience. We've all gotten to, uh, feel each other out a little bit. And, uh, you know, for some people who are less familiar with fantasy football, hopefully it's, you know, given them a better sense of whether or not they want to commit to a dynasty and, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about what the future holds. Now you mentioned earlier, some of your discussions with your Metrodome matchup partner, LB McCaskey, at one point earlier in the season, LB contacted me 
suggesting that you two had had some discussions about doing kind of a NCAA style rankings that involves some uh, votes from other managers and some sort of, uh, I'm sure, an Excel sheet because everything LB does involves an Excel sheet. Um, is is that true? Was LB just raving at the time? Uh, this is true, but I believe this process has been in development. I think this arose in part from, so again, not to talk too much about fantasy baseball, but in that league, I, I am the power rankings guru of our fantasy baseball league, where for the past many years, I have had different iterations of power rankings for our league based on statistical measures. Okay. Uh, and I've often shared these with Mr. McCaskey, knowing that he loves an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and this, I really took it to another level, incorporating graphs and everything and incredibly broken down rankings across various scoring categories. And then also came up with like a BCS style ranking system. So we, we've been collaborating and discussing how we could do this for a football league. It's a little more, a little more difficult, I think, than doing in a baseball league because the baseball league, it's all driven by, you know, counting stats of how many home runs and how many runs and how many stolen bases versus this is just points. Which I mean, in that case, it's really easy to see who scored the most points, but right. that's less fun. So yeah. Trying to figure out how would you, how do you break down the stats in a football league? I think it's a little less straightforward than in a baseball league for, ranking teams right yeah no that is that is an interesting challenge and, if you're, and i hope if you're that interested you guys in the power rank, it. Yeah. if you're interested in seeing baseball power rankings i'm happy to email you a spreadsheet please do yeah please send that my way i'm uh i'm very interested that sounds great i mean don't get me wrong i feel like my shoot from the hip style power rankings <laughs> every week are pretty scientifically driven but uh I can see how there arguably is some room for improvement over a system that guarantees I'm ranked at the top every week. <laughs> Not to spoil anything. Sounds like a spoiler. <laughs> well, you know, when you when you set a just terrible lineup and still win, it's hard to bump yourself down in the power rankings. <laughs> oh. Um. Okay. Well. Before I let you go, I'd love to hear um, if you have, you know, any just general thoughts about any team. Do you see any, you know, dark horse candidate for maybe, you know, taking a championship home this year? Um, I would have to say, you know, I'm going to buck the trend. I'm not going to call your team the best. So sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, trying to add a little back on the show, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to add a little spice to this, uh, this chat. Uh, I really like the fertile octogenarians. Yeah. I mean, a, a good solid Midwestern team, uh, currently based out of London. And I think one thing that's very interesting about the octogenarians is they got out of, uh, basically their worst bye week with the win, which was facing me. Uh, as teams tend to get wins when they face me. And that was, that was like biomedicine for the octogenarians looking at his roster between weeks seven 
eight and nine, he only has two more starters who haven't had a bye week yet. Noah Fant and Kyler Murray. Otherwise, his squad has had their bye weeks for his like main contributors. So it's a team who won't have to worry about any of those things going forward and has gotten out of it relatively unscathed while also, I think, putting up the second most points in the league. And, you know, and some of that's coming from a week where they didn't roster a full roster and still defeated. Yeah, they've got they've definitely got some uh, some strong players. Yeah, the Bonneville process is proven. It's true, but, you know, to have a London-based team, you know, take it all would be would be vaguely upsetting. I do feel like that is true. And I also feel like that's part of their advantage because people have to deal with jet lag when they're facing them. Yeah, that's true. You do. You do always hear about that. And, you know, yeah, so like every other, every other week, every other week they're playing teams that aren't even awake yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that I, for one, don't bother to wake up early enough to watch his games. No, no. That's I think that's my that's my. Contender. All right. I mean, I, I agree it. I've, you know, reluctantly been moving the octogenarians up my power rankings. Um, but as someone who owns Mike Williams in some other leagues, I'm growing increasingly concerned about the Chargers future. Ooh. I know it's a hot take, but it's mine. Yeah. Uh, perhaps the owner of the Panthers is there with you as I believe he's lost three in a row behind quarterback Justin Herbert. Yeah, it's going to I'm going to have to revisit one of those early episodes where LB came on to discuss that uh, somewhat controversial pick. Yeah, just trust the process, <laughs> trust the process. Well, we'll see. It'll certainly be uh, good uh, to see the championship in whatever form it comes. Uh, I'm ho- I've been speculating about possibly kind of ending the, you know, podcast season with like a live call-in show the week prior to the championship um get some people on to discuss their thoughts as we go into the you know game to establish who the champion is but also who uh will take home the third place prize um that'd be exciting a lot of live call-in show could be fun a lot of long-time listener first-time caller combos exactly exactly yeah finally you know We've kind of got some bashful listeners out there, and I think it's time to step Pete, out of the how do you shadows. The phone? Yeah, well, yeah, for for Pete, we'll call it, you know, like a dial-in show. <laughs> yeah. But, all right, well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. I certainly do appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to finally get you on the show, and, you know, I hope to I hope to see you earning a few of those High score of the week prizes, you know, before it's all said and done, but just you oh, know, we'd, not we'd in like a week to. you're going up against me. Sounds great. All right. Wonderful. As ever, I can't let y'all go without updating the commissioner's power rankings after the week eight games. So due to a valuable listener suggestion, we are now doing the power rankings from bottom to top. We think it'll build a little more suspense that way. So Coming in dead last at number 10, we have the Washington Fantasy Football Team and manager Scott Jorgensen. 
Ironically, he was the valued listener who suggested this system. At number nine, no surprise, we have Vandalay Industries, managed by one Pete Circa. I hate to say he's given up, but it does kind of look that way. I've spoken with him and hope to have him on the show next week, so please send in your questions. Now, this is where the rankings get interesting. It's the battle of the five 500s. These teams are fascinating because with only six playoff spots, it seems more likely than not that only three of these five 4-4 teams will make it to the playoffs. In other words, this is where the battle is. I actually saw Cameron try to poison Larry's food last night in a desperate attempt to eliminate a rising threat. So, it's worth taking a little extra time with these teams. At number 8, the bottom of the 500 teams, we have Please Fix Thanks. He has scored the fewest points of all the 500s, admittedly by a fairly small margin. But to top that off, he just lost King Henry. This team's future depends on when Kittle and Barkley return, and in what manner they return. A lot is also riding on Jeremy McNichol's performance. At number 7, we have a legal motion to dismiss. Solid starting lineup. Russell Wilson, DeAndre Swift, Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Hopkins, Debo Samuel, and TJ Hawkinson. The problem with the legal motion is depth. After the starters, the team lacks firepower. So the question is whether the team can get it done without Russell. This week also poses the question of what the team can do without its Lions players. At number six, we have Pigskin Skull Plaintiffs, sitting in the middle of the 500s. Pigskin Skull Plaintiffs has arguably the best fantasy running back now that King Henry has fallen, in Jonathan Taylor. This team's outlook depends on whether Mahomes and Thielen are able to return to form when it matters most. Another question is if Miles Sanders can make it back in time to make a difference. At number five in the power rankings, and at number two in the 500 teams, is well-hung jury. The jury is on a three-game winning streak. If you haven't heard about the rise of the jury, just have a listen to last week's podcast where Larry goes on about it in some length. What I like about the jury is its depth. His bench is full of contributors if the need arises. And if Chris Carson gets healthy before the end of the fantasy season, then the jury could do some real damage in the coming weeks, particularly if the Hawks also get Russell back. The Tijuana Panthers are at the top of the 500 teams and at number four in the power rankings overall. The Panthers have had some misfortune of late. However, they've put up the third most points in the entire league, and there is no reason to count them out. A James Robinson return would certainly make a big impact for the Panthers. Given the Panthers' precarious position at the top of the 500s, fighting to secure a playoff spot and sniffing at a championship, you've got to wonder if some of those early-round draft picks haunt manager LB. Namely, was Herbert worth it given his inconsistent performance? And perhaps more importantly, is there regret over the fact that he had to pay a draft price for Diggs based on Diggs' performance last year, but all he got for that draft cap capital was a shell of 2020 digs. We'll find out soon. The Fertile Octogenarians are at number three. The Londoner has got some firepower, no doubt about it, and I fully expect to see him in the postseason. But I'm counting on 
everyone in this league to make sure no London-based team wins the championship. At number two, climbing back to a place I'm sure he feels he rightfully deserves is Magic Grits. Magic Grits has the second best record in the league, even though he's fifth in total points. It's admittedly marginal. But record indicates effective management more than total points. So I congratulate Magic Grits for their position at near the top of the power rankings. Now, the number one spot is where my rankings are always most scientific. The prosecution, yet again, is at the top. They've got the best record, most points scored, and frankly, I just like his confidence. All right, so that does it for the power rankings. Now it's time for Kingdom Corner. To start things off, I just want to address uh, Tyron Matthews' comments from last week. Uh, If you didn't hear, Tyron Matthew on his Instagram account basically said something to the effect that uh, the Chiefs have one of the most toxic fan bases in the league. Now, obviously not an ideal thing for one of your uh, franchise players to be saying. I'm a huge Tyron Matthew fan in one of my fantasy leagues. Uh, My team is named after Tyron Matthew. Uh, So disappointing to hear for sure. But more than that, hearing someone who gets paid a king's ransom to play a children's game complain about how supported he feels by the fans who pay hundreds of dollars a year to watch him play a children's game is just in and of itself obnoxious. Uh, I've been, as I think this podcast is proof of, very supportive of the Chiefs through all their struggles. I'm not calling on anyone to be fired or any players to be cut. And I still, you know, have high hopes for the Chiefs both this year and in years to come uh, with, you know, Matthew on the squad. So this has nothing to do with my feelings about Matthew. It's just that, you know, his complaints are similar to every time I hear Robert Pattinson complain about his role in the Twilight franchise. It's like, I just don't care. You got to be a millionaire by 20 years old. And you want me to feel bad for you because of these like peripheral things. You don't, your image isn't as cool as you want it to be, or your fans don't consistently support you even when you have bad games. I just, I don't care. These are, these are not problems you should be complaining to the public about. We're the ones who made you, you know, millionaires. So just enjoy it. Hire a therapist with the millions we gave you. But don't don't come complaining to your fan base that you don't feel supported enough. But to be fair to Matthew, he has since apologized, but still just vaguely annoying and worth addressing. Uh, Now on to the real action. Chiefs versus Giants ended 1720 Chiefs. As a fan, I feel that this might have been the most heartbreaking and concerning game of the season. Watching the Chiefs struggle to stay on the field against an incompetent Giants defense was disheartening. Um, And with a final score of 17-20, this game was effectively a defensive struggle between two of the league's worst defenses. Um, 
which, you know, doesn't give you a lot of hope for either offense. That being said, as I've been saying, the Chiefs still have plenty of time to right the ship. The Raiders are on top of the division, but they certainly haven't, you know, put it out of reach for the Chiefs. More than that, the Chiefs still, you know, have a great shot at securing a wild card spot to make it to the playoffs, especially, you know, with a 17 game season. So I would say that after watching the Chiefs Giants game, I have a little less optimism about this season, but I still am utterly unfazed about the Chiefs prospect of having, you know, a multi-year dynasty there. I expect the Chiefs to be back in the Super Bowl soon. It might not be this year, but soon. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next week when I'll hopefully be interviewing Pete Circa, manager of the of Vandalay Industries. So uh, be sure to text me questions for Pete or leave them as comments in the upcoming Twitter announcement. Thank you. Thank you.